0: Welcome to episode 174 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. In this episode, we'll talk about what we've been up to this week and at the end, we'll tell you how you can put your name into the draw for a 2022 RASC Observers calendar. How was your week, Shane?
1: Uh, it was okay. Um, you know, I, I see your second bullet here. Weather has been rather poor. Yes, it has. Um, I think we've been under a shroud of cloud for like at least seven days now. It's, uh, it's been no opportunity for astronomy.
0: What's weird, what's weird though, is I was watching this on Friday because we had this beautiful clear afternoon and I was like, yeah, yeah. this is going to be okay. Yeah. And then as soon as it got dark, the clouds moved in. And I was up at six, I think, and I looked out—totally cloudy at six a.m. And when I get up and uh, start clean on Saturday mornings and start cleaning the house at seven, um, the clouds were just moving off, and and then it was clear most of the day. And then, oh, maybe tonight's going to be okay. And then, soon as we started getting within an hour of sunset, there was this huge cloud bank yeah. on the western horizon. Like, nope, here it comes, and it came. Whoosh, right in as soon as it got dark. So that was it for any observing.
1: Yeah. And it came way like a lot earlier. The forecast was saying maybe around 9 PM is when mm. we get clouded out. So I thought, Oh, cool. I'll get a couple hours in. Yeah. And, uh, I, I did get a little bit in last night actually, because, um, like, it's just seemed like, like the Northwest end here of the city was just on that edge, uh, of the cloud bank. And yeah. so like my Southern sky completely gone, but yeah. if I looked kind of North, Northeast, I did have a little bit of sky. And, yeah. um, so I, <clears throat> excuse me, I tested out, um, uh, the, the suitcase observatory. I, ba- mm-hmm. I basically have all of the components. Uh, so I, I wanted to see how stable it would be. So it really wasn't a, like a real observing session where I was out there, uh, you know, chasing particular objects. It was really just to see, you know, how much vibration do I have? Uh, you know, how quickly does it settle, And, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, a night like last night is not a bad night for that type of test because when the clouds are just like that close, you could lose the sky at any point. So, you know, those types of nights, I don't get too excited for observing because you're likely not going to get much in.
0: So really, really quick again, what's the suitcase observatory. So what's, what's in there for tripod, telescope, mount, and eyepieces?
1: So, so the, the intent here is, uh, well, it's inspired by the, uh, the old quest stars. Well, I guess you can even buy new quest stars. Um, but the, uh, like the three and a half inch quest star would, um, you, you would have an option of buying like this leather carrying case that would house the telescope, the eyepieces and the tripod and the mount. And then the telescope itself has like a built-in Barlow and a built-in white light filter. And one of their, advertising schemes is that you, you basically have like a portable observatory. You can just pick this thing mm-hmm. up and you got everything you need for any situation. So, um, I thought it'd be kind of neat to do that with one of my little refractors. And, um, so the refractor of choice right now is the, uh, 50 millimeter, um, uh, Borg FL. And so the weight of that thing, so the telescope with the rings, uh, with a dovetail, and, uh, the diagonal and let me think here, the 24 millimeter panoptic, it came to about 1.4 kilograms. So not too bad. Mm. Um, now the mount that I'm using is a, uh, a little Borg single, single arm fork mount, uh, that weighs about a kilogram. So like telescope, uh, uh mount, all of that stuff is like two and a half kilos is what it comes to. So super light, um, the tripod that I chose, um, is a, a carbon fiber photographic tripod. And, um, I should see the weight of that thing. It probably is about uh, like two kilos. So I think I'm around wow. four and a half kilos in total. And, um, it was really, really good. Like the, um, the vibration dampening, uh, at high powers was almost non-existent. Like it was there a little bit when you'd adjust focus. And then what I did is I added some vibration suppression pads under the tripod legs and that almost eliminated it completely. Like the, the vibration suppression pads uh, really helped out quite a bit. Yep. So, so yeah, I was quite pleased. I was probably only out for maybe 20 minutes or so. Um, So now the next step is to try to fit all this stuff in a case. Uh, I want to include my uh, Herschel wedge uh, diagonal as well. So I could do some white light observing, um, mm-hmm. a couple eyepieces, a couple filters, I think I have everything I need then to, you know, have like this, um, uh, the, the case that I'm putting it in is, is like, um, like one of those carry on suitcases essentially, but it's like yep. hard shelled. Um, so it is okay. carry on, uh, I don't know, regulated size. So I could just pick this thing up and walk onto an airplane with it um, which is what I wanted. Um, and you know, the, the, this thing can go anywhere that I go, but also like, if I really want like something that's super quick, I can grab that and run out the door and do observing in the backyard or, you know, a, a, a short trip out of the city or something like that. I, I can have it all there ready to go. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to play around with that a little bit more, but, uh, the, the, the the biggest part was going to be the tripod. I wasn't sure if I would be satisfied with the vibration because as soon as you put a telescope on a photographic tripod, um, you, you can run into problems just because these photographic tripods, they're often overstated, you know, with their capacity. Um, and often too, when they do state, uh, like a certain loaded capacity, it's like a very condensed, weight, right? Because a camera most of the weight is in the body and the lenses don't well in most cases aren't, you know, super long. Um whereas a telescope what kills them on a photographic tripod is that moment arm or the length of the telescope telescope tube um you know wreaks havoc on those little tripods and you often end up with really bad vibration. Um, yeah. So anyway, so far
0: so good. Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't get any observing in. I don't know if you had any any other observations to share because I was just yeah dead you know dead in the water here uh, as far as uh, having any clear sky to to work with. I think there might have been one night where th- there was a little bit of clear sky, but it was I think that was the night it was really cold. I think we had like a minus fifteen night and it was windy as as heck. I think it was like minus fifteen and fifty kilometer hour winds. I'm gonna say something like that. It was it was not good. Yeah, you couldn't observe.
1: Yeah. I, I, really just played around a, a little bit in, um, Iraq class or, um, what the heck here, uh, Perseus is what I, uh, where I was. Um, and that little 50 millimeter telescope just surprises me how much star color it shows. Um, you know, the amber stars really seem to pop out in there. Um, and anything kind of bordering in on that reddish, uh, spectrum really seems yep. to, to jump. And, um, I'm not used to that. Normally you need a little more aperture or at least I've found in my experience, it seems like aperture does help with uh, the star color and uh, for 50 millimeter, I'm always surprised at what that thing can do.
0: I'd really like to see that focal reducer on it. The one that I think I sent you a, a while back. Um, I think it'd be really cool to, to get that 50 millimeter down to like, I think, I think it ends up taking it to like a 500 or 270 millimeter focal length or 280, something like that. Anyway, it's, it gets fairly, fairly quick. Fairly, fairly quick, like five point four something like that.
1: Yeah, I've seen two of them pop up for sale, but they're in the five hundred dollar range, and uh, that's just more than I want to spend on that little telescope.
0: Yeah, I think I think if you keep watching it, you might find one for about half that because they were really designed for photographic like, like film use or or they're not maybe maybe that's incorrect, but they're I know they're not optimized for modern digital detectors, right? And so I think they that it will fall off. Over the next few years they've they've already come down a little bit in price. From time to time I've seen them for about three, three fifty kind of thing. So mm, okay. yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't mind picking one up myself just to just to have I, I wouldn't mind getting uh, maybe one of the seventy uh, twos or seventy ones or something like that at a future point in time. Slap one of those on and and take it down to I think it takes those ones down to like uh, you know, the the same focal. Length are getting getting pretty close to it. So you had to get a nice wide field of view um, with uh, with a decent uh, decent aperture there. So um, but yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I think that'd be really, really neat to do. So we were on uh, the everyday spacer live stream on on Friday night it was pretty interesting to be to be a guest for a change. We've had some guests on but we I don't think we've been guests anywhere yet.
1: No, we haven't. Um, Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, I tweeted it out on Friday. So I think a few of our listeners were able to make it out and and, uh, see us on the the live feed. And a couple of them asked us some questions or had comments, which was awesome. Yeah, it was kind of a neat thing. So if anybody's interested, uh, the YouTube channel is just Everyday Spacer. Um, So if you look that up, you'll find us there. Um, What do we talk about, Chris? I guess a little bit about getting started in visual observing, um, starter telescopes, uh, trying to think what else we talked about. And
0: people should know this. It was very, it was, it was very late for us at the end of long (laughs) days. So in, in, in both of our, our jobs, we work at different places. Um, I I know, and I know you were kind of in the same boat, uh, Friday ends up being like, you know, I know some places might be more like a holiday people knock off early, but I know, I know for, for me and I know for you as well, Shane, often that's the day of the week that we get out of work at the latest and that was no, no exception. Um, and so you, you go from, uh, working pretty late, go home, have dinner, and then, um, you know, I had to kind of sort of quote unquote, stay up and do this. Cause it was, uh, it was actually, I think past midnight for us uh, by the time we, uh, we wrapped up there. So people should know that when they're like, why are these guys so dopey? Well, yeah, it was, it was getting kind of, it was at the end of a long day, I guess is the way to put it.
1: Yeah. I fell off the cliff at about, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes into this thing. I, I started to run out of energy, but but well, it was, it was fun. funny.
0: Fun. Yeah. It was funny though you sent me a, a note that said that you were kind of fading a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I get that like the next day. I was like, yeah, I, I, wasn't even reading text at that point. I was like, you know, yeah, I'm just gonna keep talking, and then when when I need to stop, somebody's gonna have to tell me.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. My my favorite question, which we've uh, we've talked a little bit on air. In fact, uh, Mark uh, Mark asked us about this when he was on. But um, you know, how come we keep getting smaller and smaller telescopes when <laughs> you know everybody else seems to want larger and larger telescopes? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the oft asked question that yeah, that's probably uh, the, the most frequent question that we get asked. eh?
1: Yeah. And I love it because it, you know, it's an opportunity to talk about little telescopes and, and, uh, just, you know, I, I think it is somewhat unique or a little bit of a different approach anyway to astronomy. So, um, yeah, I always enjoy talking about that.
0: And not unrelated. It, the second most often question is ha- like, how do you sort of, um, address, uh, to, to go and observe in the oh, cold yeah. weather that we have. And I mean, th- those two things are actually related. So we get um, very cold weather here. You know, I was out the other day uh, or last week when we were observing the, uh, the lunar eclipse or the partial lunar eclipse. And uh, you know, it was only like minus six uh, I think it was minus 12 or minus 14 with the wind chill, And that was like a beautiful um, late November morning. That was one of the warmest uh, times that I'd ever observed in November here, um, which would, which would probably rank, uh, cold to, to moderately cold, at least, uh, for most people. Um, so for us, you know, but if you don't have the small scopes to, to get up really quick and, and put out and then tear down really quick, um, when you're done, uh, you know, it can be a, a real impediment to, to actually, uh, setting, setting up and, you know, and getting started in, in the first place.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, they, they definitely make those, uh, situations a little bit easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So my last astronomy class of the term was last week. Oh, so nice. uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty good. I did eight weeks, uh, hour and a half each uh, each week. So it was different. Usually I do two hours, and and this time decided to do just just an hour and a half, just to uh, just to make it a little bit easier on me. I find two hours can be a a bit long at the end of a day, and uh, and then as well, I've got uh, some other uh, astronomical responsibilities beyond this, this podcast too. So I've been, uh, starting my work on the 2023 RASC observers calendar where I'll be sort of officially the, the editor, I suppose, in 2022, uh, calendar that that we're giving away. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, I was just one of the, the assistants really is, is all I did. I didn't do that much. I just did the, uh, the planets rising setting and the lunar X and, uh, maybe a couple other small things, but, uh, yeah this uh, this time around for 2023 i'm I'm the person who's responsible for getting uh, everything in there so yeah yeah pretty good. so did you take any advantage of uh, Black Friday sales? We get Black Friday a bit here now in Canada it's sort of a relatively recent thing but uh, yeah did you get any uh, anything on sale?
1: No um, so there so there's a couple of items that I have my eye on and and first off they didn't uh, go on sale so I wasn't tempted but um, the, uh, the TMB super monocentrics. Um, so I've got almost all of them in the four millimeter through 10 millimeter focal, uh, focal range that they have offered. Um, but they do have a, a few of the longer focal lengths that I don't have. They have a 12 millimeter, a 16 and 18 and a 21, the 18 and the 21s are like unobtainium. There was only 50, I think of each one of those made. So they're very, very rare and quite expensive if you ever find one. Um, but the twelves and the sixteens, they do pop up occasionally. And uh, this past week on BuyEE, somebody was selling off a whole bunch of uh, TMB super monos. Like um, uh, it was like the six, the eight, the ten. I think the mm. five. Uh, but also the 12 and the 16. So I was quite excited. And um, I you know, I, I also was not really looking for Black Friday deals because this auction ended this morning. So yeah. I knew if I was to get these TMBs, I would be out quite a bit of money. So, so anyway, I put my bid in and I bid what I thought was about $150 over market value just to make sure I got these things because I really wanted them. Well, they ended up going for like 150 over my max. Bid. <laughs> so yeah. like the, uh, it was crazy actually. Um, so anyway, I didn't get them and I'm, I'm a little disappointed this morning. Cause I, I really would like to add those to the collection, but you know, at those prices, it's, uh, ugh, it's hard to, it's hard to justify. So I'll have to keep watching and hopefully one will come up for sale. You know, I don't know if that's just the new price of these things, like, you know, the, the old rare eyepieces that are desirable, um, like the Zeiss Abbey orthos or the TMB super monos seem to appreciate in price on a annual basis, but not substantially. Yeah. Um, but I tell you this, like, this is a big jump in price. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping it was just, you know, a few people got into a bidding war and really sent it up. But, um, I guess, uh, I guess only time will tell if that is the new price or, or not.
0: Yeah, there, there's an item that, that comes up frequently that I've been uh, looking for and watching as well. And I think um, like a fair price would be 400 Canadian dollars or less um, for one of these items uh, for a reasonably good deal in in pretty good condition. And there's there's I think, you know, it's not that rare. There's three or four of them on there right now. And uh, and I saw one come through yesterday and I was watching. I thought, oh, this one's in really good shape. And it ended up going for about 800, 900. So, about twice what uh, I might have pegged. You know, th- these are older items. These are items from like the 90s, early 2000s, very early two thousand, like literally the year 2000. So, I was like, huh, you know, you can buy new versions of this today for um, about that same price. So, it kind of makes you think, well, maybe I just don't need it or buy a new one or. Probably not get it for my case because I wanted to get it because I would get a deal and a good scope. But anyway, not happening. Yeah, I did buy mm-hmm. something though. Yes, you sent me
1: this ominous text uh, <laughs> of, of intentionally just you know the box was very nondescriptive on the side of the picture that you sent to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so what did you get? Yeah, so I actually didn't get it. My my wife bought it for me for Christmas, which is oh, yeah. Nice. The Pentax Five Millimeter XW because I got a I found a tremendous deal on it online um, through an Amazon um, sale like Pentax was having a sale and then Amazon was having another slightly discounted portion I was like this is just too uh, too inexpensive not to complete my my Pentax set Um, so I'd I'd sort of been hemming and hawing for like two years over which five millimeter to get whether I would get the uh, NAV like you have or whether I would just complete my set of uh, Pentax one to quarters. Um, and so I decided to decided to get that uh, that five millimeter. So yeah, it arrived on uh, whenever it was. I see that photo, I think it was Thursday or Friday, whatever it was. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty exciting. And we have been a lot of shipping delays here in Canada because there's been a lot of flooding on both coasts um, and it wasn't supposed to get here for another two or three weeks. And it arrived here, uh, I guess, uh, about three weeks early. So yeah, that was something.
1: Yeah. That's really cool. Um, I know you've been wanting a five millimeter for a while, yeah. so this is a, this is a good ad for you. Um, so do you have the whole set now of XWs or, or are you still missing the 30?
0: Yeah. So I won't get the 30 because I bought the 32 millimeter Massie uh, right. a couple yeah, months yeah. ago. So, so that, that's really it for me, I think. Um, yeah, I've, you know, and I mean, that, that completes my sort of one a quarter, inch xw setter having all the xws plus uh the mass instead of the uh the 30 millimeter and so that set took me you know i now can say i have an ip set which is kind of something i i always thought i probably would have uh took 13 or 14 years to to do the set i think there's I think it's what like seven eyepieces or something like that. It's basically a new eyepiece every two years. People, for those that are keeping score, I'm not buying uh, that many eyepieces, so I end up buying two this this uh, past uh, I guess term or whatever. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of it for me. I think I need to clean some of the older ones though.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, a little bit of grime building over the the years.
0: Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. quite a bit. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to have the five. So the five is by. Uh, Rico or Rico or however you say it, which yeah. is the company that had had bought Pentax and they bought Pentax and they discontinued some of the eyepieces. And I think at one point they had discontinued all the eyepieces and then uh, they did eventually uh, re release them all. And uh, they do look, it does look a little bit different, not that different, but, uh, but a little bit different. And then the other thing is this is that I was really curious to try the new version versus like having all the older versions. So I'm going to say that the the plastic on the newer version looks a little bit uh, darker. Like so, in the photos, they all look black, but the uh, the older ones have almost like a bluish tint to them, and and this mm. one uh, doesn't quite have that that very very faint bluish tint. But the glass looks really good, and you know, according to all reports, they're essentially um, the same eyepieces. So uh, you know, I'm excited to uh, to have it. And, you know, the other thing is is that you know when I was looking at getting. Um, other eyepieces and and all the other eyepieces that that I would even that I was considering were more expensive, and so that definitely weighs in, and some of them quite a bit more expensive. So, I didn't didn't want to spend the money. And then when the the Pentax came on, which is a a brand that I I know love and am familiar with for much less than anything else I was looking at, I'm like, well, this is just the eyepiece I I really should get anyway. So, yeah. So there's you that.
1: Yeah, and and if anybody's looking to add some like you know top notch eyepieces right now. Um, And if you have a a telescope that's probably about F6 or slower, um, these Pentax XWs right now are such a steal. Like they're on sale right now, the whole range, I think, which is nuts because just about every other eyepiece maker is increasing prices or already has like Bader increased the Morpheus. Uh, I think Teleview had like a flat increase across every line. I think Explore Scientific had a pretty big increase not too long ago. Um, so, you know, with everybody increasing their prices, the fact that, you know, Pentex lowered theirs is like such an opportunity right now, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I I think it is uh, pretty wild that they, they went that road and that was the other thing, like in, in that context that not only are they lowering their prices and they're they're cheaper. The one that I bought was cheaper than I've ever seen a new Pentex XW in the 12 or 13 years uh, since I bought the first one. Um, but also, you know, uh, everything else has gone up. So you're like, well, so this is not only that much cheaper; it's again that much less expensive. You know, so thinking about it, like in sort of today's dollars um, compared to dollars from you know uh, twelve or thirteen years ago. I mean, you know, that this is a really, really good buy on an eyepiece. And you know, wh- why the Pentax? Well, they don't have the widest field of view for sure. These are not; they're they're mid wide field eyepieces they're 70 odd degrees um you know i think like tests come out that there's some some minor variances but really they're 70 degree eyepieces um but to me i i don't find that much of a jump between a 70 and an 80 degree i notice i have a 84 degree doctor 12 and a half and i do notice more of a jump to that one cuz it's 84 degrees over the 70 uh, but even that um the doctor is 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 fairly good to look through, but honestly, it's not quite as comfortable to look through as the Pentax eyepieces. Uh, the Pentax eyepieces are absolutely the most comfortable to look through out of anything I've tried. And that's just my own personal experience. And I know everybody varies, but uh, that, that's why I like them. You can stick them in and you can really get that, uh, that full 70 degree field of view. And it's very comfortable. You can sit there and it's a very relaxed, uh, observing experience, um, which I kind of really place a high value on. <laughs> so, you know, it's pretty nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They are super comfortable. Um, Cause I've looked through yours multiple times. Um, the, the only complaint I really have about them is the top cap, like just the way the eyepiece is designed. It doesn't really hold the top cap very well. Um, Cause I used to have a, a Pentax XL, uh, yeah, XL, which was the the series that predated the XWs and, and essentially the same design, just the XWs yeah. have uh, better optics slightly. Um, yeah, just that stupid cap would always come off, but, uh, oh, well, you know, that's a, that's a small gripe for such a good eyepiece.
0: Yeah. So I think the newer ones, I think it stays on a little bit better and I'll say this about, I'll say this about the caps and this, this is definitely an added benefit is that I think with a lot of other lines, um, as you traverse, especially from, you know, well, here, here we're talking about um, 40 millimeters through to three and a half millimeters to make a 40, a 30, a 20, a 14, a 10, a 7, a 5, and a three and a half. And of which I have all of them except for the 30s. Now, you can go and read reviews on these. The 20 and the 14 don't work as well sort of in in uh, telescopes faster than about F5, like in my own personal experience, um, unless you have a paracore corrector um, in your reflector. Um, but typically you're going to have it in there anyway. So I kind of think that they work pretty well in most telescopes, but, um, the, there's a bit of curvature that can be introduced, I guess, in the, mm-hmm. in the 20 and the 14 that some people, um, find, uh, unacceptable. And, and I can understand that, um, the rest of the line, especially the 10 through the three and a half are really, in my opinion, kind of like perfect eyepieces. Um, but you can trade the caps. So, you know, when, when I have them out, I don't have to worry about finding such and such a cap for this eyepiece. I can just sort of take the caps off, or if I get them mixed up, it's not. It's there's no big deal. Like they all are interchangeable, so I do like that. And I think in the newer design, I never had any XLS, but I do know somebody. Um, actually, the person uh, Paul from the Halifax Center introduced me to to the Pentax line. He had the XLS, and uh, and that's when I fell in love with them. But uh, I know that that the newer design is just a slight. Uh, improvement on on that as far as the uh, the way the caps fit, so the caps fit uh, quite well on the newer ones. They don't tend to fall off. I've never had them fall off by accident or anything. They they work quite well.
1: Cool. The other thing too that's awesome about them is the eye cup adjustment. So if you have it all the way down for an eyeglasses wearer, that's fine. But they just like they basically unscrew to raise the cup up if you're not wearing glasses. And it is just a, a much better design in my opinion than a lot of the recent teleview stuff that I've been trying, like with the delights, um, like that push pull system that they have with tensioning just drives me nuts, um, because it just doesn't stay set. And, um, like, uh, what I was finding with the delights is, um, like I would, I would tension that thing about as hard as I could turn it and still like putting the caps on, like if the cap wasn't, you know, if it was just off to the side and you put some pressure on it, you would squeeze together like the, like kind of the, the raised eye, eye cup, and you'd have mm-hmm. to readjust it again. Whereas mm-hmm. with the Pentex screw, like kind of, you know, that just unscrew it or screw it in. Uh, it just works way better. You know, you sort of set it and it's, it's, it's not going to move on you at all.
0: Yeah. I've actually never really adjusted mine. I find that however they've, they've designed them in the factory all the way down, like is how they arrive and for eyeglass wearers, um, to me, that's pretty much ideal. I I think it's actually ideal. I I've never, um, found it less than, than perfect. So I've never, I've never turned the caps on anyone. Actually, they may not even turn for all I know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and some people may look at these and say, Ooh, 70 degrees, you know, that's not really a wide field eyepiece. Um, me personally, that is like the sweet spot of all eyepieces, you know, like, you, you you get into the 50 and 60 degree eyepieces and you definitely feel a little constricted when you're looking through them. Um, but if you get into the Mm eighties, it's like, it is a nice field of view, but it's more than what my eye takes in just looking ahead and somewhat to the peripheral, like, you know, to see the 80 plus degree field, your eyeball is looking all around to see that. Um, whereas like 70, um, so like the pan optics fit into this category too, cause they're 68 degrees. I just find that to be perfect. You know, like I can see that whole field. It's a big field and it's just a lot of fun to use.
0: Yeah. You don't have to work for it. I think is, is sort of the takeaway mm-hmm. from it mm-hmm. and, and that's big. So, so for example, when I put the Pentax in, I get the 70, that's what I got. Um, it's really easy to keep things in that field And it's, it's relatively easy to pan around, even though it's a little bit smaller than maybe something like my doctor, but, um, like with the doctor, I'm probably getting just over 70 degrees. Like if I'm just like sweeping or not really, um, paying that close attention. Um, but yeah, then when I want to really focus on something, I can kind of orient myself to get that full 84 degrees, which, which is then awesome, but you're not getting it all the time for sure. Whereas with the Pentax, you're always getting that 70 and it's really, um, locked in and an awesome, spectacular field of view, uh, in my opinion. And I, I think they, they did just an excellent job of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. This is yep. turning into Exciting an unexpected stuff. Pentax XW, XW review episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've spent, <laughs> I mean, those, those are the eyepieces I've used the most. And to be honest, like in, in my comparison and using lots of other eyepieces over the years um, I've never really felt clearly like strong enough to, to go and either sell them or get something else. And every time I go out and, and even think about that, and then I plunk them in, I'm like, yeah, like that's, that's, that's the ticket now to, now sort of to balance this out, if people are looking for more affordable ones, um, and they don't need as much eye relief, like if you're not a glasses wearer, I think that like those, Uh, Mead used to make, maybe they still do. And I know Explore Scientific and and Celestron and others have these 82 degree field of view eyepieces. And uh, in some instances where where I'm not going to be wearing glasses um, and I I want a less expensive eyepiece, maybe for public outreach or something, um, I have some of those. And I think those are excellent eyepieces. And I think uh, often can be had for like around 120 bucks Canadian or something like that when you can find them on sale. And uh, so sort of just, just to kind of round this out, but, uh, but anyway, I think with the Pentax is the way they are um, is uh, probably the best bargain um, for, for what you can get in, in a mid uh, wide field eyepiece. Anyway, that, that's sort of my bit on Pentax. Don't have anything else to add on that one, Shane.
1: No, oh, I think we covered it all. They're, all they're right, really so, good eyepieces.
0: So I did get another book. This is a book that I've been wanting to get for an awful long time. I've been, oh. been scouring for it. Um, it's it's a little bit obscure. It's called Hartung's Astronomical Objects for Southern Telescopes by David Fru and David Mallon. Um, so I've been trying to hunt this one down and could only find secondhand copies. And they were actually fairly expensive. I I think um good copies were gonna be around like maybe like a hundred bucks American or Canadian plus or minus for the shipping. And uh, and and typically they were not the the newest edition or the edition i was looking for anyway which is I think like the second or third edition or something like that anyway it's got it's got a nebula and some clusters and that on on the cover the other ones uh, didn't didn't have this nice cover it's soft soft cover um so i'd actually asked um my friend randall um we've had randall on the show before mm-hmm. and i asked him um to kind of keep an eye open to see like if he ever came across one that was this edition in good shape um, I wanted to get it. So just let me know and I'd go and get it. But, um, in sort of pristine condition shipping in, I didn't want to pay more than a hundred bucks for it. I just, you know, kind of, I kind of think it should be head for less than that. And Often those ones in that condition were running at about twice that. So I was like, well, I guess I'm just never going to get it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the other day, I mean, it was just under a week ago, Randall wrote me and said that Melbourne university press had the rights to it and they had started printing it out. Um, I don't know when it was exactly, but somebody on cloudy nights had prompted them to do this and that you could pick up a copy for like $50, uh, Austra- 50 Australian dollars. And I didn't know, I didn't even look at what the exchange rate was. Uh, and shipping was about 30 Australian dollars. And I'm like, well, I guess we'll find out. I figure maybe, you know, it's going to be plus or minus, but the whole thing, everything in ended up being about $80 Canadian. Hmm. And so it's a brand new um, book, brand new from the publisher um, for $80 Canadian shipped. And so if anybody else is looking for Hartung's astronomical objects for Southern telescopes like I was for a long time, you go to Melbourne University Press. It's their own shop on their own university website. And, uh, and you, just, you just order the book direct from them. And I don't know whether they have a few in stock and then they just ship you one or whether they have to run it off or however they do it exactly, um, let you know when it arrives. But it was less expensive than a used copy was for the latest edition, so fingers crossed. Let's see what it looks like.
1: Hmm. I think I'll order that, and it's kind of interesting uh, timing because we've been getting asked, <clears throat> excuse me, um, by a few listeners via email, but also um, on that live YouTube show Friday night. Uh, just if we talk about anything in the Southern Hemisphere, and, and you know, admittedly, we said no, we don't. Um, we really focus more on northern hemisphere because that's where we live and observe although we do touch occasionally on some some of the crossover uh, constellations that you know kind of hover around our horizon which would be you know southern hemisphere targets too um, but uh, yeah we, you, you know we just don't and uh, I certainly have a big interest in southern hemisphere uh, objects and um, I think I will order this book I guess yeah, well, I guess maybe. I'm doubly- Oh, sorry, Chris. Why, why is this interesting? No, go why ahead. has this one been on your list for so long? What, what, what appeals to you about this, this is
0: sort one? of like, it's sort of like the definitive guide. And when you're reading um, like Stephen Amir or Sue French or, or anybody else who's, who's been writing um, about the visual observing and what you can see through various size instruments, um, I think like even Brian Skiff in, in their book, um, they, they all refer to this. So it seems like the ultimate reference for the, uh, for the Southern sky. And then, uh, and then, yeah, today, um, actually one of the universities in, in New Zealand reached out to, to my wife to, uh, to chat about uh, doing some collaborative work. And I, I think the ultimate goal of that collaboration is, is, uh, is a trip down to, to New Zealand, which, uh, would would allow me to hitchhike onto for the cost of a plane ticket. I might be able to uh to spend a couple of weeks uh in New Zealand under under their dark skies. So uh kind of fingers crossed maybe that's gonna happen um maybe as early as uh as the new year. So we'll see what happens there. Oh wow that's exciting. Yeah, that is yeah. We'll see that that's a long shot for me to to make all those arrangements. But uh you, but yeah you we'll may, see what happens.
1: You may need a suitcase observatory, Chris.
0: I may. Yeah, no, I'll be, (laughs) I'll be shipping something, something down for sure. Yeah, no, that would be, that'd be really cool. Or maybe meeting up with other amateurs down there. If we have any listeners in New Zealand, reach out. I'll I'll be, uh, I'll be making plans uh, sometime next year. Maybe I hope we'll see, we'll see what happens. I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of projects for astronomy on the go and uh, you know, it, it could, it could squander my plans pretty easily. So anyway, go ahead
1: uh i have nothing to add
0: <laughs> oh my, my mount is coming back tuesday oh okay okay speaking of lightweight portable mounts for a suitcase observatory so uh heard back uh, from skywatch there the week before last and they they sent me the tracking it's scheduled to be here um so yeah look, looking forward to it uh yeah so someone's going to be home that day and uh yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll bring it in and and give it a test out, and then uh, Randall, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, he wrote me, and uh, a few years ago we had done a uh, like a collaboration between. Um, I guess there was probably about five, seven of us. Can't remember everybody. Um, but uh, there, there was a small group of us who did a, a presentation at one of the general assemblies at the RASC on uh, sort of celebrate the 150th year of the RASC, which was a few years ago now. Um, but Randall's been sort of working up all of our papers and presentations and that and collaborating with, with everybody on the team um, to actually produce a book. And he sent me my chapter on Friday, and so I uh, I, I actually uh, put my calendar work on hold uh, for Saturday and actually spent it reading um, this great chapter. So he's he's kind of taken my notes and presentation and then sort of worked them together into uh, into uh, I guess an eight or nine uh, page chapter for this book. So I'll let people know when when that comes out. I think it's going to be coming out next year. And uh yeah it was it was really cool. Uh, he's He's a tremendous writer and uh, so kind of taking my, my notes and some of the other stuff and sort of uh, working it together was was really, really neat to see. so I really appreciate him doing that. very cool. Yeah, that is really neat
1: um I'm excited for that i I do enjoy these uh these historical books about astronomical societies. Um, there's often so many stories to tell throughout the years um even if it's just reading like meeting minutes and getting a sense for like, kind of the environment or the atmosphere around astronomy at that period in time is super cool. And then when you layer in some photographs of, uh, you know, club meetings or club observing, uh, it's quite fascinating. Um, you know, maybe just a little, a little sidebar story about that is, is our local club, the, the Regina astronomical or Regina, uh, chapter of the, the Royal Astrono- astronomical society of Canada. Um, you know, we, our, our previous members like I would say probably in the 40s or 50s somewhere around that time frame were super active uh, with meteor counts and um, you know whenever there was a meteor shower it was a real big event here and and there was a lot of organization yeah. that went into it and people would lay on the ground with like kind of in a spiral wheel sort of shape with their heads pointed towards the center (laughs) and they would have like a portion of the sky that they were responsible for. And they would just count the amount of meteors they saw in, in the sky and they Mm. would call out meteor and somebody was recording the timing. And it, it was really neat to see how they contributed to science back then. And then they would submit their observations and, and, uh, Anyway, I love those kinds of stories because some of that stuff has fallen off over time. Like we're we don't do that anymore here yeah. <laughs> at the Regina Center. And uh, you know, in, in some cases it's too bad because that's kind of a neat thing to do.
0: Yeah. 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 No, no, really neat. Really neat. Yeah, I think uh I think people enjoy it. I mean you know, I'm, I'm definitely kind of like the, the least experienced person in all this. Uh, some, some of the people are like, uh, uh, anthropologists and stuff like that, that have like r- given a really interesting analysis of, of what it is to be a, a member of, a of an astronomy group. So I think it's something that's going to be right up your alley, Shane. It's pretty neat. Yeah. I'll check that out for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, now for the calendar giveaway. We've uh, had a few entries so far. So uh, chances are, are high you could get a calendar. I just want to say if people want to uh, enter the draw, be sure to put that you are entering the calendar draw because I did get a few emails and I'm not sure if people are entering the draw or not or just sending us emails about their own observations because you do get lots of those. So make sure it's, it's clear that you want to uh, enter the RASC 2022 observers calendar draw and that's what you're submitting for. Um, so unless we've received that sort of specific, then uh, then people's names uh, sort of won't go into the, the pot. Um, so you just need to send us some observations, can be long or short. Uh, we had a really cool uh, observation from uh, Stephen. I'm just going to read it really quick if we have time, Shane. Yeah, go for it. All right. So, uh, Stephen says, uh, greetings, Crystal Shane. First off, I want to thank you and tell you how much I enjoy your podcast. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much, Stephen. Uh, I take a long walk around the neighborhood and I listen to your back issues almost every day. Recently, I listened to your minor planet and asteroid podcast. I was zeroed in on your discussion of series at the end. You mentioned a contest to win a 2022 astronomy handbook. So this is the calendar. Um, we might do a handbook giveaway i haven't received my my handbooks yet so so we'll see and so he said he wanted to share an image uh that he took uh as he was inspired by the discussion And this is a, a very recent mashup of two ccd images uh taken three hours apart that shows series romp near the Hyades. and i hope you will consider this as my entry in your contest i look forward to your future shows you're a pleasure to listen to you. thanks Stephen. he's in massachusetts Um, and then he sent us this, like, I gotta say, if, if I had thought we would receive an image like this, I would have got another calendar to make sure I sent one to Stephen, because this is absolutely amazing. He sends us this, this image of a star field and it looks like, um, like a discovery image, you know, like the discovery of Pluto where you have it at, at one point and then another image of it at another point. And, and you can really see like this is the same object sort of moving amongst the stars. And then he labeled them um, 9.30 p.m. and 12.30 a.m. And I got to say, this was just absolutely phenomenal to see. Um, this looks like something you would get in a like in a textbook or something like that, it's just sort of beautifully presented with a gray border and everything. It just looks super, super awesome. So I was super thrilled to see this, Shane. I don't know what your thoughts were. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it
1: blew my mind when I opened that email. Um, the, the images, yeah, it's a great, great image. And I love, I love the presentation of series like two dots. And like you said, labeled, um, and it does give me an appreciation too, for, why you probably want to observe this, you know, on multiple nights because the movement over three hours is obvious in the photograph. But visually, it would be pretty hard, I think, to pick that up. Um, however, if you gave series I so. you know, another night, I, I think the movement then would be more apparent.
0: I gotta say, um, what really what really surprised me is kind of what you you hinted out there, Shane, is that. Um, how much it had moved in those uh, few hours. Like, I'm not sure how many uh, arc seconds this was, um, but it, it, it's noticeable that this is the same object and that it, that it has sort of traversed uh, a little bit of the star field. And I was just like, huh, you know, it really, you can really see that it has um, moved a significant amount. I thought, you know, somebody who is using a pretty big telescope with decent power Um, If they went out at at dusk here and uh, you'd probably be able to get it at about, I don't know, maybe 630 in the evening. And then it's it's going to sort of be in the other side of the sky, maybe at about 4 uh, a.m. or or maybe even like 530 a.m. Uh, made me think man you would stand a pretty good chance of of seeing that motion if you drew the fields over the course of even just one night so I don't know if it's just because it's so close to us now or or what but uh I was surprised how much uh, how much motion uh he captured there
1: yeah, yeah it is pretty impressive I can't remember I, I I said on that on that episode where we recorded about series I mentioned how quickly it moves mm. oh, I thought it was like 10 to 20 arc seconds per hour, um, was, was yeah. like kind of an average for the asteroids, uh, in that region, but I can't remember for sure. I'd have to go back and check my notes.
0: Yeah. Well, definitely that showed up here. So, uh, yeah. well, I, you know, I think that, that that, comment is what probably spurred Steven and a few others. We had a few other, uh, emails on this, um, received, uh, another image from, uh, Filippo down in Brazil. Um, and I, I don't know if it was through his telescope he had one naked, like sort of a, a zero power shot um, from from his camera, and and he actually just sort of pointed out um, series. And he also had like uh, Orion and everything else. When I first looked at, it, I was like, something is really weird with this image of of the Hyades, and it was upside down, of course, because he's in Brazil, right? So <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: and then he had the upside down image of of Orion too, which was uh, super cool to see. So anyway, well, anything else to uh, to add, Shane? That is all, Chris. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. And thanks, everyone, for, for listening. Uh, if people want, uh, we would really appreciate getting some, some reviews. I was looking at, we don't have many reviews. Our reviews are too few. And so uh, <laughs> we'd really appreciate people going on um, to wherever they listen to our podcast and leaving us uh, some positive reviews. That would be awesome. And we're always excited to receive feedback or other listener emails, like entering our podcast uh, calendar giveaway. And you can email us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks Shane. And thanks so much to everybody for listening.
1: Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.